I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, former college professor turned manager in a large corporation turned entrepreneur. And not just any entrepreneur. I've made it my life's work to make organizational life more effective and fulfilling. So welcome to Working Conversations, the podcast where we digest and translate research and ideas on workplace dynamics and serve up to you the most interesting and actionable strategies to make your workplace conversations and your relationships more effective, productive, and influential. If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Today, I had a colleague lament to me about the performance of one of their staff members. And as she recounted where the person was falling short, she acknowledged that this had been going on for quite some time. She was actually thinking about terminating the person's employment. Now, naturally, because I'm deeply interested in these kinds of situations and because I've written a book on how to hold difficult conversations, I wanted to know what steps that she had taken so far to coach this staff member back up to performance level. So I asked her. She replied, well, I sent her an email a few weeks ago outlining what she was doing wrong. (gasps) My friends, this is not how we do it. (laughs) With so many people working from home these days, we have become even more reliant on email than ever before. And even when we're trying to move things out of our inbox and onto other platforms, those platforms like Slack and channels on Microsoft Teams, they're still text-based, where we don't have the additional social cues that tone of voice and body language afford us. Now, to learn more about how important those cues are, be sure to give a listen to episode five, where I talked about how important all three Vs are, verbal, vocal, and visual. You can find that episode at workingconversations.com slash five, the number five. So anyway, back to my friend. When she told me that she sent an email outlining what the person had done wrong, I shared some friendly coaching with her, and I'm going to share that with you today. Now, again, if you've heard me talk about the three V's before, you'll know that it is super easy for communication that is based in text only to get misunderstood. When we communicate without the nuances of our tone of voice and without the nuances of friendly facial expressions and gestures that impart goodwill and positive intentions, the other person is likely to get defensive and take the message in the worst possible way text only is an insufficient way to deliver bad news or give constructive coaching. So here are the steps to follow when you need to give constructive feedback, performance coaching, or have a difficult conversation of any kind when you are not face-to-face. Now this methodology applies as well when you are face-to-face, but the first couple of things that I'm going to say are about that remote work environment or when you don't get a chance to be face-to-face. All right, here here we go. There are seven steps. The first step is to set up a time to meet, either by phone or by video chat. Now, video is going to be best, provided you and the other person are both reasonably comfortable in that medium. If you're not reasonably comfortable in that medium, then just go with phone or with a video chat with cameras turned off. Secondly, ask for their permission. It might sound something like this. I've got something to discuss with you. Is now a good time? Now this gives them a heads up that this is a serious conversation and that they need to sit up and take notice. So it kind of levels the playing field. You already know that you're going into a tough conversation and you're letting them know that it's serious and a tough conversation as well. And it also gives them permission to postpone the conversation if they're in the middle of something that might be distracting to them. 
We've got so many distractions these days, from kids' distance learning at home, to the news, to the psychological distractions that we all face living in the midst of a pandemic and working from home as a result of that. If it is a bad time and they can't give the conversation their full attention, you won't likely be able to get through to them anyway. So giving them a chance to postpone the conversation until a time when they can give it their full attention is really to your benefit. Step three, start with something that you both agree on that's related to the situation. Whether that's a fact, a belief, or a strongly held opinion, starting with agreement helps for two reasons. First, it sounds like you are in it together, which frankly you are. This is a conversation that involves both of you in some fashion, so you're in it together. So starting with agreement makes them feel like they're not alone. And second, if you start from a place of agreement, the other person won't be defensive. The human brain gets defensive when there's a threat. And if you start out from a place of agreement, there's no threat and therefore and therefore no reason for them to be defensive. If the issue has something to do with, let's say, how they've been mishandling a challenging client, you might start with something like, you know, client XYZ can be really demanding at times. And they'd be likely to agree with that. The point is to get them in an agreeable state of mind so that they're not defensive. Now, as a quick side note, here's why you don't want the other person to be defensive in a conversation like this. If they get defensive, they're going in they're going to go into a fight, flight or freeze state and their head is not going to be in the game. Because here's what happens on a physiological level. When we humans feel threatened and we move into that fight, flight or freeze state, the blood flow goes to our extremities. And this is all rooted in evolutionary biology. When our ancestors were threatened by a saber-toothed tiger, they needed to run fast and climb a tree or pretend like they were a statue so they didn't get detected by the threat. Now, our minds have not entirely evolved. Our bodies and our brains have not entirely evolved past this. Now, of course, for most of us, our circumstances have evolved considerably so that we are not in that level of harm's way, especially when we're not in, especially when we're in the workplace. So we don't want the person to be in fight, flight, or freeze mode. Again, from an evolutionary biology standpoint, we are still hardwired to end up in fight, flight, or freeze when we feel defensive. We don't want the blood flow going to the extremities. We want the blood flow going up to the brain where it can fuel critical thinking, great listening, and innovative ideas to solve a problem. So again, you want to keep the person from getting defensive. The way we do that is by starting that conversation with agreement, and that could be an agreeable fact, opinion, or belief. Ideally, something that you both share. It's going to start that agreement off and get the conversation going without the other person being defensive. Step number four, lay out a set of facts that moves you from the starting point. Now, again, that starting point is the thing that you said that you both agree on and use a neutral tone, and eventually you want to arrive at the organizational impact of the of the person's behavior. Now, you might, I, I call this the fact and model. Fact and, fact and, fact and. You're laying out that set of facts, starting from that agreeable place to the organizational impact. And depending on the situation, there might be two or three facts, or there might be 17. Each situation is going to be different, but lay out as many facts 
as you need to get from that original place of agreement to the organizational impact of their behavior. Again, you want to keep it on the organizational impact because that is going to keep the the conversation focused on the work itself. And when you are referencing the work, it is far less likely for the other person to take it personally. Now, I call it the fact and model because we want to use the word and to connect each of these facts along the way. You might use the word and, or you might think of it as a comma in a series of events or a series of facts that lead up to that final conclusion or that, you know, that final organizational impact. And make sure you use and right as you get to the organizational impact as well, because if we throw in a but or a however, right as we get to that organizational impact, it's going to negate all of the things that we said before it, because but and however are conjunctive adverbs. So you may remember conjunction, junction, what's your function from Schoolhouse Rock, where the conjunctions connect things together. And is a straight up conjunction. But and however are conjunctive adverbs. They connect things together, but they also have a descriptive quality to them. And that descriptive quality says that whatever comes next is going to be different from what came before. So if I had a series of facts that led up to that organizational impact and I had the and or the comma, the short pause between each of those facts, my person is agreeing, agreeing, agreeing. And then I say, however, and then whatever comes next, their brain is going to be inclined to disagree with because everything up until that point they agreed with, now you say however or but, now boom, they're gonna not agree with whatever comes next even if they haven't even heard it yet because of the function of that conjunctive adverb, but or however. So get the buts and the howevers out of that tee up of the conversation. As you get to that organizational impact, you're just going to state that organizational impact without a but or a however in front of it. Now, if you get really good at this, you can also try my advanced ninja technique of eliminating the pronoun you in this part of the conversation. Because really, it's not about them. It's about the work. And when you can take the word you out of it all the way through that tee up of the conversation, it is really going to help that other person, again, not get defensive and stay focused on the work and the organizational impact. Again, you're going to conclude this part of the conversation with the organizational impact of their behavior. Something like, client XYZ is one of our highest profile clients and they need to feel taken care of and they're not feeling taken care of right now. Step five, now it's their turn to talk. Now you can either invite them to take a turn by saying something like, I'm curious to know how all this is landing. Or you can just be quiet and they'll know it's their turn. While it is their turn to talk, it is your job to listen. Now, I really mean listen. Dial completely into what they're saying, maybe even take some notes. Be prepared during this part of the conversation to hear some new information. Don't assume that you have all the facts. The other person has their set of facts as well. So listen intently to their set of facts, ask probing and follow-up questions, and really get clarification around what their side of the story is. 
It is so easy for us human beings to think that our side of the story is all there is to it. But in this part of the difficult conversation, you really need to be very other-centered, listening entirely to them and putting your disagreement aside. You might not entirely agree with what they're saying, but to the best of your ability, put that disagreement aside and realize that the what the, the story they're telling you is how they see the world. And that's the reality that they're dealing with. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. Now, step six, once you've heard them out, co-construct the next steps or the solution together. Make sure that whatever you come up with has some of their ideas in it. This will create greater buy-in and it will also create a far more likely chance that they're going to follow through with whatever the plan is or whatever the change behavior is that they need to implement. As you conclude this part of the conversation, figure out how much time it should take to see results or change behavior. Is this something that they can turn around in two weeks? Is this more like a two month thing or maybe even something to check in on in the next quarter? After you've determined the time period at which you're going to check in about this, then thank them for their willingness to have a frank and open discussion with you and thank them also for their contribution of ideas that led to a solution. You want to end with some appreciation because this was a hard conversation and challenging conversations are not easy for anyone. So showing some appreciation for their maturity level and their willingness to discuss it is a really nice way to end cap that conversation. Now, there is one more step. Step seven, you're going to send a meeting invitation for whatever interval of time you agreed on for seeing some sort of results or change behavior. So if, again, that was two weeks or two months or in the next quarter, you're going to put that into an existent system. You're going to put that on the calendar. And there are two reasons for it. The first reason is this, the person might change their behavior, which would be fantastic. Of course, that's the ultimate result that you hope for. They're going to change their behavior. And if you don't have an appointment on the calendar for yourself and them, you may miss a valuable opportunity to acknowledge that changed behavior or the resolution to the problem or whatever the positive outcome of that conversation was. And remember, what gets acknowledged gets repeated. So you miss a valuable opportunity to reinforce their positive behavior change. And really, I mean, who? It, it's basically a kudos conversation at that point. And who doesn't love a nice pat on the back, especially because they probably had to make some effort to get this particular situation turned around. If it was a big enough deal that you needed to have a difficult conversation with them or coach them on their performance, then absolutely that merits acknowledgement from you. And again, what gets acknowledged gets repeated. Now, the second reason to put that 
into it to put this into an existent system like a meeting on the calendar is because there might not be any change or they might change partially and then backslide or only implement part of the solution and if there's no change in the behavior by the time you know no change or only partial change of their behavior by the agreed upon interval if you then have to put a meeting on the calendar it will likely show up to the person as punitive. Oh, she's on my case about this again. Here we go again. So if the meeting notice was already on the calendar from the get-go, it will feel far less punitive. And it might also be a motivation for them to change their behavior because they'll see that meeting notice come through and they will have accepted that meeting notice and now they know it's out there on their calendar. So that last step is of critical importance. Get that meeting invitation on the calendar, again, for two reasons. One, if they do change, it's going to give you an opportunity to acknowledge that and what gets acknowledged gets repeated or two, if they haven't changed or sustained the change, it's not going to feel nearly as punitive to have the follow-up discussion. Now, after all is literally said and done, it is a good practice to follow up with an email. Remember, that's where all of this started, giving critical feedback or coaching feedback via email. So after all is said and done, it absolutely is a good practice to follow up with an email that simply outlines the nature of the discussion and any conclusions that you came to and the interval at which you're going to check up. Then there's a codified version of what took place. And if the person that you were giving the feedback to had any misunderstanding whatsoever, or any, sometimes this happens, misremembering of what took place, you have a solid record for the future. And so do they. And that's something that you can refer back to. Let's hope it doesn't get to this. But if it ever does get to needing to take action of giving some formal discipline or dismissal, you've then got that codified version of what happened and it's time and date stamped and all that good stuff. All right, so there you have it, my friend. Seven steps for holding that difficult conversation in particular in a remote setting. Now, this is basically the same model that I teach in my course, called Holding Difficult Conversations. It's also the process that I've outlined in my book called How to Approach Difficult Conversations Directly. And you can find the links to those resources in the show notes at workingconversations.com forward slash eight for episode eight. Now, a final word on sharing constructive feedback. Do it right away when the issue first comes up. Do not wait. The longer you wait, the bigger the issue becomes. Now, sometimes it's because it literally gets worse, like the situation is getting bigger and snowballing and getting further and further out of hand. And sometimes it's just because it gets bigger and bigger in your mind because you're not addressing it. You're ruminating on it. You're doing like my friend did that I shared at the beginning of the podcast. You're telling your friends about it. You're telling your other colleagues about it, but you're not dealing with it. And when we're telling other people about it rather than dealing with it, again, it does become bigger in your mind. So my friends, do not wait. Get right after it when the issue first comes up. All right, go forth and conquer those difficult conversations. Go on, be a courageous boss, coworker, spouse, or friend, and share that constructive feedback with the person who needs it using this model. Co-create a solution together that's going to serve both of you. Acknowledge that change behavior as it happens, and you will get results all while preserving the relationship. This model is really built on preserving the relationship. And again, if you want to check out the book, 
how to approach difficult conversations directly. I give tons of application about how to use this model in your teams, how to use this model if you're managing up in the organization when you have to give your boss difficult convert, uh, difficult feedback, how to manage the conversation when there's challenging things going on in the workplace that are just simply annoyances. So go ahead and check that out. Again, you can find a link to that in the show notes at workingconversations.com forward slash eight for episode eight. All right, my friends, go on and get after it. And we'll see you same place, same time next week. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations.